The following audio is from Central Christian Church, located in Portales, New Mexico. To connect with Central, go to centralwired.org.
Praise God. Good morning, Central. Woo. All right. Great to be here. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Why do we have a tendency of doing that? That we're all about Jesus. We're all about God. But whenever it comes time to talk about that Holy Spirit thing, that can kind of get a little bit iffy, you know. What about all that talking in tongues or that prophesying and, you know, is that real? Is that, you know, it's all part of the Holy Spirit and it's all part of the gift that was given to us. And so that's what I'm going to talk about this morning is about the Holy Spirit. And, you know, and and we look in the book of Acts and in Acts 1, I think starts in about 4, goes through about 8, is kind of is the last time that we see the red letters in the Bible, isn't it? Isn't this the last time that Jesus actually talks to his disciples and, and, and brings and talks? And what's he talking to them about? The Holy Spirit. He said, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. It will be a great gift. But stay right here. Don't go nowhere. God's going to give it to you whenever he's ready. So don't leave. Don't run off. Stay right here. And later he goes on and the Holy Spirit comes over him. And he says that he said he tells them that the Holy Spirit will come over you and it will give you great power for you to go out into the world from one end of the world to the other and preach the gospel. The great gift of the Holy Spirit. You know, a lot of times we kind of shy away from it because, yeah, you know, that tongue deal, that can kind of get a little bit, you know, that's a little iffy. I don't know if I want to go there. But it's a true gift, and it's a true spiritual gift that you can have between you and God, that private language between you and God, the gift of tongues. So don't shy away from it. But today's story is... uh, talks about the Holy Spirit, and, and uh, we'll get into it, and I, I guess no better way than to start it is, is to say, you know, it's one that I told before. I've, I've stood right up here and told this story before, and, and I was to the point, I was like, you know, the Holy Spirit said, you need to tell that story, and I said, yeah, but I already told that story. They've heard that one. He said, I said, tell the story again. I said, but I said... Tell the story again. Okay. All right. I'm sorry, Father. I'll do it. Anybody ever been like that? You want to argue with him a little bit? Okay. Well, that's where I was. And so I'm going to tell the story again, but I'm going to spin it in a little different direction, so to say. And so this story begins a long, long time ago in a land not so far away. There was a young Christian. And this young Christian lived right here in Portales. And, you know, I mentioned the word young and Christian, and it makes you think that I'm talking about a teenager or someone of that age age group. In actuality, I'm not. I'm talking about a man that was probably in his late 30s, might have been 40 at the time, but he was very young in his Christian walk with God. He always knew about God, and it, but yet he'd been kind of introduced to him, and this Holy Spirit thing is kind of new in his deal, and he was kind of like, mm, I don't know about all that. I'm you know, we'll see. And he, um, but this young Christian was trying to walk and trying to do the right things as far as God's concerned. So he, and so happens this young Christian happened to be a farmer here in the community. And for anybody who knows anything about farming, knows anything about the agriculture community, if if you're in production agriculture, as I am, you get three, maybe four paychecks a year, Okay. There's not one coming every week or every other week. It's pretty, they're pretty slim and they're far in between. So you have to learn to budget a lot and how to stretch things a little bit to get from one point to the next point to the next paycheck. So this young farmer, he was, he was in one of those times. He had he'd grown a good crop. The crop was there. He was going to get a good price for it. Everything was going to work out. Everything was going to be good. But anxiety was killing this guy. I mean, it was eating him up. He was worrying. He was fretting and fuming. He couldn't sleep at night. But it was going to be okay. But yet the anxiety was killing him. And so there was one morning that this uh, young Christian went to get a cup of coffee here in town. And he, he drove up to a convenience store over here. It's now at Stripes. At that point in time, it was town and country. 
So see when I said a long, long time ago, it's the beginning of the see? Okay. You know, and he pulled up there, and he happened to be pulling a trailer that day. So he pulled over to the side, kind of by the dumpsters are. Everybody kind of know where I'm talking about that's from here. And he went to get out of his pickup, and there's another pickup that pulled in. And it pulled up to the front, and he noticed as he walked by to go into the store to get coffee that this pickup had Texas license plates on it. So what? No big deal. And he goes in the store, and the only ones in the store is him and this other man, and then the, the people that work there, the only two in there. And so they're both over at the coffee deal, and uh, they're both make, making their coffee and getting their coffee, and you know, man, how we are, we kind of look at each other and kind of grunt at each other. Good morning. All right. I'm good. I mean, three grunts and a man has had a full conversation with another man. Okay? That's all it takes. We're good. We don't have to gossip for hours on end, okay, like the other side. You know, three grunts, and we're good to go. So we're, uh, you know, they get their coffee made, and they, they go to leave, and, and the, the other gentleman pays out and walks outside, and the young Christian goes up there and pulls his wallet out, pays for his coffee, and goes to walk out the door, and this other man is standing there waiting on him. And uh, this other man stops him. And says, uh, sir, excuse me, um, I have a question. He said, okay, yeah, what is it? Are you have a financial situation going on in your life right now? This young Christian's jaw probably hit the floor, hit the cement. How did this guy know what he was going through? Where did he come from? Who is this guy? Never seen him before in his life. Didn't have a clue who he was. But the young Christian looked at him and said, yes, I do. So the other gentleman asked him, can I pray over you? He said, yes. So right there in the parking lot of stripes, this man laid his hands on this young Christian and prayed over his financial situation. And instantly, the anxiety the worry, the fear left the young Christian. It was gone. That's powerful. Later they got to talking. And as they visited, you know, the young Christian still today does not know that man's name. They never got that far as the names. My name is this, your name is that. But he got to talking, and, and the, older, the other gentleman was an older, older guy, probably kind of about like me now, a little gray around the edges, probably 55, 60 years old. And as they visited, the, the uh, other gentleman said, said, yeah, I'm, I'm from Brownfield, Texas. And I got up this morning, I'm supposed to go from Brownfield over to Roswell. And as we stick a map up here, if you live in Brownfield, Texas, and you're driving to Roswell, New Mexico, and you go through Portales, you're lost. You don't have a clue what you're doing, okay? But he's told this young Christian, he said, as I was driving, the Holy Spirit told me, you need to go to Portales. You need to go pray over someone, over a financial situation. And he listened. He got to Tatum, New Mexico. He took a right and headed north and came to Portales. He didn't know who's come to see, where he was going, where he was supposed to go. But the Holy Spirit led him there. So let me ask you this question. Is the Holy Spirit real? Because what would it have taken for that young Christian to have flat out said, whenever he asked, do you have a financial situation? That's pretty personal, isn't it? For him to say, no, no, I'm fine. I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, how are you? Yeah, we'll see you down the road, dude. And how easy would it have been for, I'm going to call a seasoned Christian, to be driving down the road and the Holy Spirit tell him, you need to go to Portales. You need to go pray over a man. For him to say, yeah, but i got to get to Roswell. I'm supposed to be there by 9 o'clock or something. How easy would it have been for him to do that? But instead he listened. And after it's all said and done, both men's lives were changed, especially the young Christians. And as you, you know, probably a lot of you have heard the story that I've told before, and a lot of you have figured it out and put two and two together, that the young Christian is standing before you right now. That many years ago, this was me. And if we will but listen to the Holy Spirit, he came 
after we, as we take the elements and we think of communion and all the stripes and all the blood. But yet on day three, he rose and left us with the powerful, powerful gift of the Holy Spirit. If we will but just listen and take advantage of it, it is here for us. Let's pray. Father God, as we come to you this morning, I always, always praise you and thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the sacrifice. Thank you for the blood. But Father, thank you for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is powerful. We know it is. We need to trust in it, Father. Show us. Bring the Holy Spirit over us. Show us how powerful it can be. Show us what it can do in our lives. Give us that gift. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It was August 15, 1989. It was the bottom of the sixth inning, and the Expos had their best hitter, Tim Raines, up. The pitcher got the sign from the catcher. He glared at the battery, checked the runner at first. He wound up, he pushed off the rubber, threw as hard as he could the last pitch he would ever throw. Dave Dervecki, uh, all-star for the, the Giants at that time, the Padres before that, had an undiscovered ar- cancer in his left arm, and it cracked in mid-throw. It was a loud, sickening crack heard all over the stadium. You see, just ten months earlier, he had surgery in his shoulder to remove a cancerous tumor and they said well i don't think you're ever going to pitch again and and 10 months later just five days previous to this he had gone eight innings scoreless was on the road back and in this game five days later was cruising through the sixth inning everything was going well until what is now called the pitch heard round the world tim raines in his autobiography called it he was the batter and he said it sounded like a gunshot He collapsed on the front of the mound. They came rushing out. It was very obvious his arm was broken. And over the next two and a half years, the cancer would return three times. And they ultimately amputated his left arm. He spent his whole life growing up to be a Major League Baseball player. What happens and how do you deal with the tragic loss of purpose? Of what you thought it was supposed to be. We're in this series called Road Trip, Taking God With You. And we're going to be in Psalm 13. I'm going to invite you to turn to Psalm 13. We're also going to be in another place in 1 Samuel, but, uh, but everything's going to be based out of Psalm 13. So put your fingers there. Now, the last few weeks we've been looking at miracles of Jesus and different interactions with Jesus. I want to go to the Old Testament, and I wanted to kind of process this. What happens to the road you've chosen when the answer from God seems to be, well, how should we say this, delayed? Listen to David's thoughts in Psalm 13, if you're there with me. If you're joining us online or on the radio, welcome to Central Christian Church. We're glad you're here. Verse 1, O Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? Turn and answer me, O Lord my God. Restore the sparkle to my eyes, or I will die. Don't let my enemies gloat, saying, We have defeated him. Don't let them rejoice at my downfall. But I trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice because you have rescued me. I will sing to the Lord because he is good to me. Now, some backstory on our thoughts today. They come from Miss Debbie Reeves. Debbie caught me a couple of weeks ago after we were discussing the the man that was the leper that ran up to Jesus in Mark chapter 1. Ran up to Jesus and he said, if you will... You can heal me. He presupposed the ability of Jesus. And we talked about that. It was kind of shocking because it was early in Jesus' ministry. But he runs up with total faith. And he says, if you will. He knew Jesus could. He just didn't know if he would. 
Compare and contrast that with the Jesus and the dad of the demon-possessed boy in Mark chapter 9, where he comes to Jesus and said, everybody's done everything they can, and, and he says, if, if you can, do anything, have compassion on us and help me. And Jesus says, if I can, all things are able to those that believe. And he makes that famous statement, I believe, help my unbelief. Do we remember that phrase? Okay, But, but you see, the leper said, if you will, this guy said, if you can. Do you hear the difference? Well, then I started chasing that rabbit, and I got to thinking about the three guys in the Old Testament, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, where they were about to be thrown in the fiery furnace. Nebuchadnezzar said, bow down. We will not bow down. The God that we serve, as in Daniel chapter 3, is able to deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we're still not going to bow down. We trust him. So here's my question to you. Which one of these roads most closely resembles your faith? Because there's more backstory to this chapter 13 of the, the book of Psalms. Psalms 13 has an interesting backstory. We know David wrote it, but it's the where and when that he wrote it that's interesting. And I will confess to you, it's very easy to remember David and Goliath, true? We remember David the shepherd. And later on, we remember David the king. But a lot of times we forget there was eight or nine years in there that he was running for his life. He was on the run. He was hiding. Nothing else was working out. He was a fugitive in the very country that he was a hero. Remember they said David's killed, or Saul killed his thousands, David's killed ten thousands. You know, he was a hero, and they ran him out of the country. They chased him to Israel, or chased him out of Israel to Philistia, to a town called Gath. Does anybody remember that Goliath guy? Seems like he was from Gath, and he was a Philistine. How popular is David going to be there? <laughs> Not a great place to be. In fact, the only way he could escape, you can find this in 1 Samuel 22, was he acted like a crazy man. He drooled on himself. He clawed at the walls and, and screamed and ranted and raved till they left him alone. And they ended up settling, him and his followers ended up settling in a town called Ziklag. Everybody say Ziklag. Not your normal place. But they ended up there for 16 months. They were pretty safe and sound there for a little while. They went out on military missions. But one day he went on a military mission. And here's what happened. And this is why this is important. Stick with me. I need you to join me over in 1 Samuel chapter 30. Just go back a few pages to 1 Samuel chapter 30. I want you to hear this backstory to Psalm 13. Now I want to pick up the last verse of chapter 29, which would be 2911. Okay, 1 Samuel 29, 11 says, So David and his men headed back into the land of the Philistines while the Philistine army went on to Jezreel. That's the scene. Join me in chapter 30. Three days later, when David and his men arrived home at their town of Ziklag, they found that the Amalekites, or Amalekites, however you want to pronounce it, had made a raid into the Negev and Ziklag. They had crushed Ziklag and burned it to the ground. They had carried off the women and children and everyone else but without killing anyone. When David and his men saw the ruins and realized what happened to their families, listen to verse 4, they wept until they could weep no more. David's two wives, Ahinoam from Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal from Carmel, were among those captured. David was now in great danger because all his men were very bitter about losing their sons and daughters, and they began to talk of stoning him. But David found strength in the Lord his God. Okay, you with me? Now flip back over to Psalm 13, because that's where we're going to base everything today. David wrote Psalm 13 from a place he was physically exhausted. He was emotionally bankrupt. He was depressed. Everything was terrible. He was supposed to be king. And Saul, the dad of his best friend and the dad of the woman he loved, was trying to kill him. He trusted God. He served God. But how long will this go on? If Psalm 13 is really a song, is that the hook from it? How long? I mean, four different times he says it there, and he just keeps saying it. Have you ever been there? 
where the struggle just won't end. He wanted the divorce. He got the divorce. Now you're the one that always seems to be punished. Nothing ever goes your way. Or maybe you battle anxiety. Or or you battle depression. And, and you go to the counselor and you take the meds, but it just never seems to go away. Or maybe you battle some physical uh, lupus or fibromyalgia or some other that is a chronic pain. Or, or maybe it's just the physical of of aging where every day aches and you just wonder what happens to our road when when God's answer doesn't seem to be coming on the time that you and I want it anybody ever been there now I want to sound like that leper that we talked about I know he will I know he can but let's be honest sometimes it's easy to feel forgotten. You need to know if you're a new Christian or if you've been here a long time, all of us at some time or another pass through a dark stage of feeling like God isn't there or at the very least He's forgotten us out in the desert. And I want you, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands because if you haven't gone through one of those seasons, it's coming, but i got a hunch a great majority of us in here have been through those seasons. I read a cynic one time, and he said, God's always around when I don't need him. But when trouble comes around, when I go looking for him, he goes into hiding. Now, I don't agree with that, but is that easy to see? It's easy to perceive how somebody could, well, I needed him, and he went into hiding, and he's not there. And it feels like everything's starting to pile on, the bills and the pain and the pressure and Everything starts to build on, and it's, it's easy to believe He's given up on you. Maybe there's somebody in this room, or maybe there's somebody watching online that needs to hear this right now. Can He, will He come through for me? In 2014, some researchers from the University of Washington discovered a completely new fish, this one right here. It's called the Mariana snailfish. And you can Google it. This is the most PG picture I could find of it. They're really gross. All right? They're really, really disgusting. And I, I didn't want to freak you out right before lunch. So I, uh, so I found this clean version of it. It's just a simple little small fish. They found 36 of them at the bottom of the Marianas Trench. It's 28,000 feet below the sea level. That's basically Everest turned upside down. Everest is 29,000 feet. So it's that far below that nobody ever knew they existed until 2014. So they start researching. They captured a couple of them and, and they examined them and MRIs and all this kind of stuff. They felt like they were free of predators. Nobody seemed to be messing with them. And they ate shrimp and crustaceans and just krill and things like that off the bottom of the ocean. They seemed to be pretty safe. But the pressure there is immense. 16,000 pounds per square inch. I had no idea what that meant. I mean, I had no idea. I know you put about 50 in my tire, but I don't have a clue what 16,000. So I Googled it. They said it would be the equivalent of 100 bull elephants sitting on your head. Okay, that's a lot. All right, that would give you a headache. But they discovered about this fish, and here's what I want you to get. They, they discovered two special features about this fish. Number one, that the fish, the bones and the skull are flexible. What? I, how are they bones? <laughs> Doesn't that make them something else if they're not firm? It said, no, they're flexible. And this fish has a chemical inside it. God has built this chemical inside this fish so that it creates pressure inside to push against the outside. So there is 16,000 pounds per square inch pressing in, but this chemical pushes out. It pushes back against the pressure. Think about that. I want to do that. I want to be that guy when I grow up. I want to, I want to do that, all right? I, I want to push back against the pressure. Anybody? How do I do it? Well, I go back and look at verse thir- uh, chapter 13, and the first thing that David did was he looked at who he was talking to. He spends the first four verses talking about himself. 
Well, how long? And how long is this going to go on? But look at verse 6. It says, I will sing to the Lord. Now, in your versions, depending on what version or if you're using online, frequently it has L-O-R-D in all caps. Okay, That is usually a reference of a translation of Jehovah. Uh, Jehovah God. All right, That's how they translate Lord from the Hebrew. But in this particular case, it was... Jehovah Elohim, Elohim, uh, we learn from the Shema, it means God. So he was praying to the God God. That seems redundant. And it caused a lot of consternation. So a lot of the scholars have looked and said, <clears throat> really, that Elohim in this particular place looks like it means power, strength, or promise. So what David is saying... I sing to the God of power. I sing to the God that is strong. I sing to the God that His promises are true. You hearing me? When your problems overwhelm you, when the pressure is coming down on you, don't declare your weakness. Declare His greatness. You could amen that. That's a good one right there. All right. In this moment of desperation, I think David returns to the promises of God. All right. Look at what he has promised us. Listen to these verses. Jeremiah 20 and verse 11. You don't have to go there if you want to write it down. But the Lord stands beside me like a great warrior. Before him my persecutors will stumble. They cannot defeat me. They'll fail and be thoroughly humiliated. They, their dishonor will be forgotten. Psalm 138 and verse 7 that was read earlier with Carolyn there. Though I'm surrounded by troubles, you'll protect me from the anger of my enemies. You reach out your hand and the power of your right hand saves me. Your mercy, O Lord, endures forever. You see, God had promised David he would be king. He was anointed king. But the situation did not back up that promise. The circumstances did not look like that would be true. Have you ever been there where you look so much at the circumstances that the data, even though the evidence was he is great and he is faithful, he is the strong God, he is deliverer, uh, he is stronger than pain, all we see are the circumstances. Look, I'm not talking about unicorns and kumbaya. There's no handy formula for this. I'm just telling you, where do you look in the middle of your storms, in the middle of your pain, in the middle of the pressure? Where are you looking? You see, David is saying, I'm devastated, but I'm putting it in your hands. I've been victimized by my circumstances, my emotions. Life is throwing it all at me, and I've crumbled and I've caved. But in the middle of this, help me to see that you are the mighty, awesome one. You see, when we lower ourselves, base humility, we start to see that he is bigger than our problems. Her name is Avril. She's nine years old. She's from Florida, but she was at camp with us this week with some family that had come in from uh, northern New Mexico, and so they came down to camp. Sweet little girl, dark hair, sat down by me Tuesday, Wednesday, somewhere at lunch, and she said, can I ask you a question? I said, Sure. She said, which one of these are your grandkids? I thought Jennifer and Tabitha were going to fall out of the chairs. They spit their coffee all over the wall. Oh, it was terrible. I was just like, wow. Well, technically, that one over there is my son. Really? But you're old. Do you want the knife back? Uh, golly, just a direct throat punch right there, man. There was no no guile, no no, no hidden agenda, just, you know, just right there. Put you in your place, Thomas. All right. But, I mean, it's funny and everything. The reality is when we put ourselves in the right place and lower ourselves, we see how great our God is. We get... We've got to see His promises, that they overcome circumstances. And our song should be even greater when the, when the answer is delayed. Look at verse 5. He said, I've trusted in your unfailing love. I will rejoice because you have rescued me. 
One version says, because the Lord has dealt bountifully with me. This is a song of triumph. He's winning. How? What changed about, God, about David's situation? Not one thing except his memory, except his focus. He started focusing on God. We've been saying it around here, the more you see God, the more you'll see God. It sounds redundant, but it's true. And, and it's sad to me that pain can often cause us to avoid the places where we will likely see Him. I'm not accusing and I'm not pointing. But isn't it odd that sometimes when trouble happens, church and God is the first thing off the agenda? I ran into, a few months back, ran into some people at Walmart that used to attend church here, hadn't been in a while, and I was just visiting with them, catching up, how you been, everything, and just want you to know, we still have Saturday night service, we have two Sunday services, we'd love to have you anytime. Well, we've just been, we've been having some problems in our marriage. I didn't say this out loud, but I wanted to say, then you need to go more, not less. You need to go early Sunday morning and late Sunday afternoon and every Tuesday and every Thursday. And you need to get around the things that will help heal the pain. I'm not talking about cliches or happy thoughts. or I'm talking about remembering how bountifully God has treated you. Now you can be sitting there saying, but Donald, my life stinks right now. Look at David's life. He is... Everything looks hopeless. He is running for his life. His best friend's dad and his father-in-law are trying to kill him. Nothing has really changed for him. Except that he recalled the spirit of prayer. What real salvation means. He says, then I will remember all God has done. Look at the end of verse 5 there. And I can hear Joanne Vickers telling me, look at the tense. Look at the tense. And in one version, I think it's the NIV, says, I have prevailed. In this one, I will rejoice because you have rescued me. That is present or perfect present tense, present perfect tense. It's, he's saying it as if it's already happened. He wasn't rescued, but I believe you so much that I know how good you are. You will rescue me. We started talking about those three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They got, they were about to get thrown into the fire. Even if he doesn't, I know my God can. We know that God can. We got to presuppose God's ability. Even the dad of the demon-possessed boy, when he says, help my unbelief, we need to be people that follow him even if the circumstances aren't great. Follow Him any way. We've been looking at these miracles. We've been looking at all these healings, different things that happened. Friends, miracles of Jesus were not earned. Healings were not deserved. On our schedule, oh, well, there's a lame man. Oh, that's sad. He should be, he deserves to be healed. That's on our grade. That's not what Jesus did. Don't you think in Capernaum when they let that boy down through the roof that there might have been another crippled guy in the town there might have been a blind lady or something well what about me what about, why why wasn't it everybody do you hear what i'm saying sometimes it's hard follow god anyway in one pitch dave dravecki's career was over he'd already had one great comeback he wasn't coming back from this one he's face down on the mound he's writhing in pain they get him in the ambulance, and he remembers a conversation he had with a teammate, Bob Nepper, that afternoon, just four hours prior to him pitching this unbelievable night. They were in the locker room. They were in the clubhouse there, and they were talking, and he was talking about his, his, his comeback. And Bob Nepper tells him this. He says, Dave, I hate to burst your bubble, but this is not the mirac- about the miracle of the comeback. This is about the miracle of salvation that occurred in your life back in 1981 in Amarillo, Texas. And God is providing a platform for you through baseball to encourage those who hurt. 30 months of painful therapy, surgery, counseling, and he still lost his left arm, lost his career, lost his hopes. But he's going on to write some really incredible stuff and teach, and he's an incredible speaker. So if you ever want to read his books, he's great books. 
He says who God is doesn't change according to what he provides through the trials. Sometimes the outcome's good and sometimes it's not. But it doesn't change who God is. The only way we can really obey is through trusting him. Obedience is the byproduct of trust. In the aftermath of that horrible day, somebody got him that baseball. The baseball that he threw the last time he used that arm. And he says he carries it with him in a backpack over his good arm. And he's a speaker now. And it reminds him that what he thought was the end was actually the beginning of his ministry. Friends, you have a ministry too. Even when your life doesn't look perfect, God can minister through you. God wants to minister through you. It may look like everything is crazy and is not going well, but you're not alone in the fire. You're not alone in the problems. You're not alone in the pressure. When life confuses you, focus on who He is. And the fact that He is willing to deliver you. Will you let Him use you to minister? Will you let Him speak to others through your hurts? Because you all have a ministry. Let's pray. God, when we're hurting and we cannot see the end, all we see is Saturday, all we see is confusion, all we see is pain. Speak to us. Holy Spirit, speak through us. Help us to be a vessel for Your greatness. That we're not alone. We've never been alone. Your promises are healthy. Your promises are faithful. We are not alone. There is another in the fire with us. And it is you, Jesus. It's you, Holy Spirit. God, your mercy is truly amazing. It's through Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Central Christian Church in Portales, New Mexico. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To connect with us, visit our website at centralwired.org.